This is Cindy, my good friend and mentor, graduated with honors from the University of Connecticut at Storrs, receiving a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree with a major in acting, directing, and playwriting. Cindy is a multi-year recipient of Long Island's Best Psychic. She is the author of multiple books which focus on life, love, and relationships. Cindy has been seen on television and is the regular host of her own radio show on Blog Talk Radio. This is Dr. Gary. He has been in the education field for over 20 years and earned his doctorate from St. John's University. He has spent most of his life motivating students of all ages and achieved mastery as an amazing instructional leader. Dr. Gary has been a personal trainer, teacher, professor, coach, DJ, and a professional wrestler, but he's also a psychic. Hello, everyone, and welcome to session number three of Soul Matters Podcast. I'm Dr. Gary, and I'm here with Cindy Sansone Braff. How are you, Cindy? Oh, I'm just great. I'm loving summer. I hope you're loving it, too. Uh, it's been absolutely uh, beautiful this past weekend. I mean, it's a Tuesday night, but this weekend it was super hot, beautiful. Beaches were closed super early because people are just running there, trying to get to the uh, to the ocean and get to the bay before uh, they roasted from the sun. So it was beautiful. Very nice. But we're lucky because we have a private beach down the block. So it doesn't oh. close for us. We just were in the bay for like three hours today. It was beautiful. I was kayaking, swimming, and um, it's, it's very private. There'll be maybe 10 people at a time. It, it shifts and every hour somebody else comes and goes. But we're, we don't shut down here. Thank goodness. That's fun. That, no, that's a lot of fun. Yeah, we spent a lot of time in the pool, um, you know, this weekend and uh, didn't do too much, you know, did a little exercising, but you know, it's, uh, it's tough with that type of heat. You have to be, you do have to be a little careful. So being by water and staying cool here and there and staying hydrated is, uh, is definitely the way to go. Okay. So we, uh, again, have had a lot of visits to our Facebook page. We've been uh, excited to hear some feedback. Both Cindy and myself have been uh, speaking with friends and other people that have visited the Facebook page and have listened to our podcast and uh, a lot of great stuff, a lot of great feedback and interesting questions that we've been given. And tonight's session number three is going to be speaking about, are we judged in the afterlife? One of the things that I think people are always fascinated with, and some people are more fascinated with sometimes death in general, and maybe the the glorification or the, the, the Hollywood idea of death. Uh, but some people, on the other hand, are more fascinated with what happens after we die. And I think it depends sometimes on the age uh, of the person, but it, it is a very interesting topic and, I, and I'd love to get um, right into it. So what does it look like? What does it maybe feel like? What does it sound like? And I think one of the questions that we could probably start with is, when we're talking about life after death, Cindy, in your opinion and what you've experienced and, and how you've been able to approach these types of situations is, are we judged after after we die uh, in the afterlife? Are we judged according to the quality of our life that we've lived here on earth? I think judge is kind of a harsh word. Um, we're not judged as people. Perhaps our actions are judged. Our actions are evaluated. And, you know, interesting enough, I had someone today who's her mom has been dying for a long time, but didn't want to really die because she knows her life, the, her life review is not going to be good. She's not been a great mother. She's made everybody's life hell. She's been dying and didn't want to die because some people are just afraid to meet their maker. So they hang in there, you know, being a burden to other people for a very long time, never being in gratitude. This woman never said thank you to her daughter's. And, you know, I realized, you know, her, her mother was going to be dying very shortly now. And she had emailed me earlier today and she said, well, she's going into hospice. And I said, well, I give her about, you know, less than a day, 20 minutes or so. She'll, she'll just cross over now. She doesn't want to be in hospice. So didn't take her more than 20 minutes in hospice to die. But she was afraid to meet her maker. And why is she afraid? Because she knows she hasn't learned anything. We have an instinct you know, something that tells us there's certain lessons we're here to learn. And some people refuse to learn. That's why there's reincarnation. You know, Carl Jung said, you know, most people will do anything they can to avoid facing their own soul. So 
some people, you know, they get to be 80, 90. They know they were supposed to learn to be kinder, to, to be in gratitude, to say thank you. And whatever it is, they're scared. So we know we're going to answer to God for the fact that we did not become the kinder person we promised we were going to become. Or perhaps we were very lazy and we were very gifted, gifted writer, an artist, a scientist, that we didn't use our gifts. And we know we're going to really answer to God for not using our gifts. So, yes, we're going to, in the laws of karma, you kind of get the afterlife you deserve. So is there a weighing of the scale? Yeah, it's instantaneous, by the way. It's pretty much decided what I call them rungs on the other side for a lack of a better word, you could call them realms, but not everybody goes in the same rung or, or realm. You know, it's a, I call it the rungs of realization, how realized you were in this life, how much you learned and pretty much within maybe I'd say an hour or a day at most, you will be put in that particular rung. And then an actual life review probably takes upwards of 10 years, if not longer for everything you did. It's a long process. Interesting. So when you are in, in this particular situation, you had mentioned about that particular client who, uh, whose mother had obviously not learned many lessons and was afraid to meet their maker in situations like that. I know you had mentioned the rungs of realization or the realms of heaven, uh, which is, I think, the, w- um, the way it was explained to me um, years ago uh, in the different realms. Would you say that those people that have extended periods of, and I'll put it in air quotes, uh, not that anybody can see me, but, um, but have extended periods of suffering p- prior to them passing, it's almost as though that that is their, their repenting on earth before they cross over um, in an effort to almost... Enter Burn into off. a higher, yeah, into into a off. higher, yeah, higher realm of heaven. Um, once they cross over, would you say that that's? Oh, that's accurate. In other words, sometimes when people don't want to put their parent in a nursing home, although every indication is that this, pe- you know, you can't take care of this person; they need too much care, and they say, "No, I can't do that. I can't put my mother or father in a nursing home." And I'll say, "Well, that is part of their karma. They have not perhaps done what they were supposed to do. They haven't learned what they're supposed to learn." So. In putting them in a nursing home, in a place where people are actually paid to take care of them, paid, they can burn off some karma because they're putting food on the table of aides and people who run the nursing home and, you know, anybody who works there. So ultimately, you're keeping them from burning off some of their karma. And yes, suffering. Some people will stay you know, a long time suffering at the end of their life. I remember my mom took about 18 months to die. She was in hospice forever. They actually left because she was taking so long. And some days I would visit her and she would like, it wasn't really lucid. She had sort of had sort of some sort of convenient uh, dementia. I think she didn't want to remember. She had practiced denial a lot of her life and that those mechanisms probably were breaking down denial, repression and suppression. And so she would say sometimes, I don't know what's right and what's wrong. What, what's, what's right? What was right? What was wrong? I don't know. And she would have this like argument to herself. She was obviously talking to her spirit guides who were saying, well, you could have done this or you should have done that. And she didn't really want to hear it. And so I see this a lot with my clients. They'll tell me in the, in the nursing home or with their, you know, elderly parents, they will hear this kind of agitation. And I will like, cause you're getting a life review with, without dying. They would prefer we learn it here, admit here while we're on earth. Yeah, I could have done that better. Mm-hmm. So that would bring us into a higher rungs or realms uh, faster. If we don't face it here, we're going to go to a pretty lower realm. So it's not pleasant. Sometimes, you know, we should always be giving ourselves a life review. Even if, you know, Gary, you've had reading with, with me. What I do for people is I give them a life review without them dying. I'm telling them what they're here to learn, what they haven't learned, what they need to do, what they promise God. You know, you promised God you were going to meet this particular person in this lifetime and you were going to marry them, but you promised God you would divorce this person. You would learn, you know, to cut someone out, to punish someone. Enough is enough. And if you don't do that, then you're not answering what you promised you would do. And so it's kind of a gift. Imagine you don't have to hit your head, go to the light to get a life review. And my clients really 
feel that it's truth. They hear that, oh, I really, I really have to do that. I have to learn that. Oh, I, I know I'm supposed to be doing that. So getting a life review, we're supposed to review our life every day at different points, a midlife crisis, Gary, you're about ready to have one. You're huh, you know, nice. to the age where it's hitting. It's like, no matter what you've done, when you hit 40, whether you're happy or not happy, it's like, Oh, did I do what I'm supposed to do? There must be more to life than this. That's a midlife crisis. We have another crisis as you get to be my age, when you're getting toward the end of the road, when you start thinking, you know, did I fail short of my gifts? Um, looking back at the mistakes you made and knowing you should have left sooner a relationship or stayed longer in a relationship or given someone a, more of a chance or punish someone. So all of us are always supposed to be giving ourselves a life review so that when we go to the other side, we've done a pretty good evaluation of ourselves. So yeah, you can, you get a chance here before you die. And I think that that's something that is, it's very poignant and it's very important. So people can understand and realize that I know a lot of people and, and I do it myself and I'm always trying to make myself better every day. And I'm almost questioning, you know, am I doing the right thing? Am I making the right decisions? And I think a lot of people go through that uh, each and every day. And especially those people that are um, very spiritual, very religious, who tend to um, use God as a, as a measuring stick, so to speak, and almost ask him for some type of, like you even said, like a life review, like, you know, give me a sign or, t or tell me if I'm making the right decisions or question the decisions that you're making. I think that a lot of people go through that, uh, that self judgment. And I think that it does one of two things. It could continue you continue yourself on the path of improving each day. But I think it also in some cases can create more anxiety and more, um, more nervousness and, and just wondering if, in fact, you are on the right path. And I know you had mentioned, you know, am I, you know, I'm, I'm approaching that that age where I could be, you know, experiencing that midlife crisis. I mean, if you speak to my wife, I've probably already been in it, and I have been in it for quite some time. Uh, but you know, the, the the interesting part is that I find myself doing that very, very often, uh, where I'm wondering, is this where I'm supposed to be? Is this the spot that you know? God has picked me to be in at this moment. Did I make the wrong decision? And, and I'm, should I be further in my life or should I be in my further in my career? There's so many different things that, um, that come up. And I think that, you know, again, depending on your level of spirituality, uh, your level of religious belief, I think a lot of that comes down to, you know, are you doing the right thing by God? And, and I, and I, and I wonder if people struggle with that, um, I, if I had to guess, I would say that they probably do just speaking from personal experience and even the people that I've, I've had the opportunity of reading and speaking with and being in the profession that I'm in, you know, being a special education teacher, you, you, you see a lot of the struggles, not only with students, but with parents. And you always wonder, you know, obviously if you're doing everything you possibly can, but I can assume that they're probably having that same struggle. Uh, if that and it, it's sense. the human condition. And you're always looking back and saying, I made bad choices. You know, I could have made better choices, but that's what we hear on earth. It's earth school. We're supposed to make bad choices. If we were going to make perfect choices, we'd be an ascended master like Jesus. We'd come back to earth just to teach, not to learn. And no, we're here to learn. And, you know, what's comforting to a lot of my clients when I describe that they're old souls, which means they've had a lot of lifetimes. And I can tell when they've had a lot of lifetimes because they all have certain personality traits. They're good to a fault. They like to see the good in everybody. They try to bring out the best in people. They give people the benefit of the doubt. They're very hardworking people. Uh, they're donkey people. They do the work of eight people. They work so hard. They tend to be enablers of other people. They mean well, but no one learns anything when they're around. And those personality traits have made their life hard. And, you know, perhaps they've married the wrong person and stayed 30 years unhappy, unhappily married. And they wonder, you know, I'm 60 years old. Why didn't I leave when I, you know, 20 years before? And I'll explain you couldn't have. You had to learn the lessons that we're here to learn, that we can't fix people, that it's not our job to fix them, that we have to stop being martyrs and sacrificing our life. So certain people couldn't help but make those choices. It's brainwashing from past lives. It's the way they've, you know, 
accepted the dogma or of organized religion and some of it isn't written by God. So it's very hard for older souls to realize that maybe they should have moved on faster and things like that. So yeah, it's a, it's a struggle. It's a struggle, but that's what we're here to learn. We, we, we have to make mistakes. There's no way around that on earth. And I hope that, you know, by doing this podcast, and I think that that was something that had been on my bucket list. And, and I think that was on yours as well, uh, Cindy, to create this podcast where we can obviously have a platform where we can reach people and, and hopefully strike a chord with certain um, certain individuals that may be experiencing these types of feelings and things that they can hopefully be able to navigate a little bit easier with um, with our assistance. So now with the, the next question that I had uh, come across was, does everyone go to heaven? And I, I'm going to couple that with uh, another question that basically I think will answer itself as we kind of move through this. But a lot of the time we see that there are obviously many ways that people can, can cross over and pass. And with that question, does everyone go to heaven? Would you be able to maybe clarify, is, does the way that people pass, do the way that they die have any indication as to whether or not they will either go to heaven or go to a certain realm of heaven? And, and how does that uh, work for our listeners? Well, it, uh, say if you committed suicide, you know, it depends what your intention is. That's one thing about God. God always sees what our intention is. So if a person has decided to commit suicide because they may be having some memories of uh, uh, being molested or sexually abused, and now they have thoughts that maybe they could do it to their child. Usually these people would not do that, but they're fearing it. And they may kill themselves because they've had this thought. Now they may just have that thought because it's their own thoughts of remembering what happened to them. And it's, it's not that they would hurt their child, but they become obsessed with, could I do this to my own child? And that person may kill himself or herself because they don't want to hurt their child. Now that intention is not bad. That's an intention that is to protect and they're not sure of themselves. And so a suicide that perhaps is doing it for a reason that they think is good or valid is different from a suicide that say, you know, you broke up with me and I just decide that I'm going to like really make your life hell because I'm going to kill myself and you're going to feel terrible the rest of your life. That's not a very good intention. That intention is to hurt and punish someone. So depending on our intention as a suicide, uh, there's many different, and the way I describe it is like a ladder um, because the way it's been described to me is the rungs of realization is how realized did you become? And if you committed suicide because you realized you had the potential to hurt someone and you didn't want to do that, that would be a fairly decent rung on the other side. If you kill yourself to hurt somebody, to punish them, just to be mean, uh, that would be a much lower rung. And now I'm using words like lower and higher. We, you know, hell, you know, heaven high, hell low. There's a metaphorical terms. I don't think there's any words that exactly translate what happens on the other side. So what they do is give me metaphors for things, spirit, okay, that we can understand. But I don't think we'll fully understand because it, it probably doesn't feel like a rung or a realm. It maybe feels like a different classroom or it just feels like a space that we're occupying that we don't know if it's a, anything's above us or below us. But in order to explain it to people, it would be, you know, say an alcoholics. There's probably 50 different rungs on the other side for alcoholics, depending whether you're a functional alcoholic, a mean alcoholic, what you did when you were under, how accountable you were. So even though you're an alcoholic, doesn't mean you went to the same realm your father's an alcoholic went to. Maybe you're a different kind of alcoholic. So yeah, there's different things. And depending upon our death, like those beings that died in 9-11, 3,000 people should not have died that day. And so they were very agitated souls for a very long time when they would come to talk. It took a solid 10 years for them to reconcile because probably out of the 3,000 beings, maybe 100 would have died within a five-year period of that. It wasn't their due date to die. And a lot of them were angry. They had a lot more they wanted to do. Some people never got a chance to do better or change their, their ways. 
And so they were you know, very agitated, but a special rung was actually opened up for those beings in which they were processed a little differently than you and I are processed because their life was truncated. So it's not really fair. And about the 10 year mark, they all had their life review and they kind of came to some sense of peace, knowing that they're going to help as beings of light and peace. They try to be uh, emissaries of peace on earth and hopefully they'll walk the earth again in peace and their children and their children's children will walk in peace because of what they're doing. But yeah, it depends on how we die. It can influence a lot. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's difficult to, you know, if you die suddenly and unexpectedly, maybe you weren't prepared and you weren't ready. I mean, those of us who, you know, live longer, we can, evaluate ourselves and have a little more time to do that, which is, again, what we were talking before, very helpful. It's, I think it's fascinating to, you know, to me, and I'm sure to people that are, that are listening is when you speak about suicide, I would think that people would probably assume that it's so that's cut and dry. Like you're taking your own life. Like it's, it's against everything that's natural. It's, it's, it could be considered evil, however you want to classify it. So people would probably think that, Wow, that's that that's got to be a bad intent. That's got to be just bad intentions, but not necessarily looking deep into what the actual reason was for the suicide. And like you had mentioned, like God sees our intentions, and if the intention was to prevent something horrific happening to a child, our own child, it's almost as though God sees that as okay. Uh, I understand why you did that, and and now you have a a different realm or a rung that you are entering. So I find that to be fascinating. And and, I'm and there's also a special rung opened up for people who are committed suicide while they're on psychiatric drugs. Some people would never commit suicide, never. You know, they might be depressed and we've all been depressed. I've gone through periods of depression in my life. And, you know, what would keep me from killing myself? I mean, I think every thinking person has perhaps thought about that. Life is difficult. Is that it would hurt someone. There's one person who might care. If there's one person that's going to care that you kill yourself, then please don't do it. You know, and if you have one good deed left to do, then please do that good deed. But People on psychiatric drugs who were depressed and now they're on, say, Paxil or Prozac, suddenly their conscience isn't there because in certain people, antidepressants take away your conscience and you're sort of stoned and you don't really realize that anyone would care anymore. And you don't have that realization. So what was God going to do with people who wouldn't have killed themselves except they're on these psychiatric drugs that made them jump in front of a train? You know, it's... So that, that's a different thing. They're not even fully held accountable. The drug has made them do something that they wouldn't have done otherwise. So again, depending upon it, um, but you know, to throw away a perfectly healthy body, young people that sometimes kill themselves a perfectly healthy body, I always tell young people, don't do it. It's not the best thing you could do. Get Deal with what you got to do because you might come back severely disabled in the next lifetime. You know, you threw away a perfectly healthy body. You may pay for that in your next lifetime. And so try to deal with what we have here and, and deal with it. So again, it's really, you know, so every person's life review is very different depending on every intention and every life experience they had that may have led them to do certain things. And it's very complex. You know, human beings tend to be very black and white. They just judge people bad or good. Okay. It's there is so much between bad and good and so many variables and certain people are just terrified to die because they think they have done something very wrong that may have actually been what God would have wanted them to do in that situation or was not was not bad. And so, you know, we all have to figure out what's right and what's wrong. And it's difficult. Again, life is it's difficult, but God always sees to our intentions. So if you could remember that. What is your intention in doing something? I don't think I've ever intentionally hurt a human being in my life, nor would I want to. Have I hurt people? I'm sure I have. But was my intention to hurt them? No, I was unhealed at the time. It was the way I knew how to respond. I wouldn't know any better at the time. Of course, if I could go back in time, I would correct that behavior. But that's what I thought was right at the time, or even I didn't think it was right, but I didn't know how else to behave. And I think that that's such an important lesson, especially now uh, during what we're experiencing going through this this pandemic and 
uh, obviously being on, for lack of better terms, lockdown, uh, people not having the ability to uh, go and do as they please and have that free mind, body, and uh, soul experience. A lot of the time we uh, we internalize that and, you know, you see these commercials, you know, it's okay to not be okay, you know, and, and you hear that. And I don't know if people really understand what that kind of means, but, you know, we, you know, in all our research and all, in, in all the readings that we do, you know, we understand that the mind functions separate from the body. Oh, so yeah. when, when we're making these um, intentional decisions, whether it is to um, cut somebody off on the road or scream at somebody or, um, to deliberately try to hurt somebody, I think that what people really have to try to do is really take a, a, a long, hard look intrinsically and see, like, is our intention to seriously hurt somebody, to make somebody feel small, to make somebody feel bad? I think that once we start as, a, as, a, as humans to really start to reflect on that type of behavior, look at our intentions. Are we just doing it to satiate our anger at the moment? And I think with most people, Cindy, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think with most people, once they have those types of outbursts, they almost feel a little bit of regret and a little bit of guilt. And then there's really no way to fix it uh, after it's actually done. So to take a step back and look at what, are our intentions in everything that we do, I think is a, is a really, you know, to step aside from this topic uh, briefly, it's really an important lesson to, to take away from um, speaking about this, because I think that that will just help us as, as a human race. I think it will help you in your life review, because if all your intentions were what you thought were good, even if it perhaps wasn't, but you really kind of thought it was the right thing to do or the best thing to do. um, That's, what we, you know, I, I've had to deal with people that refuse to die and I have to go talk to them. I have to figure out what block, what, what, you know, you've been suffering on your deathbed for two months and what is it that you're afraid of? And sometimes, you know, a woman will say, you know, an older woman, I had an illegal abortion when I was very young and, you know, I'm Catholic. I'm scared. What, what, what's going to happen to me when I go to the other side? I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to go to hell. I'm, I'm terrified of God. And I'll say, what was your intention when you did that abortion? And one woman told me, well, the man she was with was very bad. And she realized that if she married him and had that child, that her life would be hell. Her child's life would be hell. She could never leave him. If she tried to leave him, he would take the child. And he was a very abusive man. And she feared for what he could do to that child. So her intention was good. Her intention was she she loved that child enough to say, I can't bring that child into this world with this man in this horrible situation. And I said, your God will be very fair with your evaluation because your intention was not to harm or to hurt. It was what you thought was the only way out of a situation that there would probably be no way out of when it happened. And she died the next day after I spoke. Wow. With her. It yeah. gave her the peace that she needed. It makes a lot of sense. And I, and I think that, you know, with the the idea of intentions, I think what we re- what we don't see sometimes, and and listen, if we if we did this every single decision that we made, we would dive headfirst down a rabbit hole, and it it, it may you know explode our heads. Right. Uh, but you know, I think what we don't realize sometimes is the unintended consequences. Like what what happens if we do say or act a certain way? you know, how are we going to leave an impression on that individual or that person or that group of people? And, and listen, you, you, you can't necessarily go to that place every single time because we do know that there are unintended consequences. I think everybody in their life has said to somebody in one way, shape or form, I, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I never me- intended to hurt you. Right. I, 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 I never meant, you know, intended for that to happen that way. I mean, we all have that, um, that unintended consequence. Uh, but I do see that, uh, a lot of the times, uh, like you had mentioned about people, you know, not wanting to pass, like they do have those unresolved circumstances. Uh, right. And the they- life review is what they're fearing. And again, you know, in your afterlife, you know, it cracked me up. What I've learned doing this for 25 years is some people refuse to get their life review when they die. They refuse to watch it. Okay. It's the Akashic records verbatim truth of what happened for be- the bigger narcissist you are on earth, 
you know, you go to the other side and they're showing you exactly what you did. And they turn away and they say, that's not what happened. I don't remember it that way. And they keep saying that. And when these spirits come through for, you know, to talk to their living relatives, I'll, I'll, I'll try to tell that soul and be in spirit, just say, okay, just, just, you don't even have to agree with the, with the your show. Just say, okay, go through that. After you see 500 days of your behaviors, you may get a aha moment, a ding, ding, ding. Maybe I wasn't so great on earth. And, you know, some people will go through 50 years in spirit and be on Groundhog Day. They'll only see maybe the first couple of days of their life review. And then they're going to reincarnate and make all the same mistakes again. Is that is that horrifying? They don't learn in spirit either. They refuse to learn. Yeah, that's um, that must be tough too when you're doing a reading. And I think that we had spoke about that in one of the previous podcasts. Even people who are liars on earth are liars in the spirit world. And you can, you know, because you've been doing this for so long, you can kind of pick them out and say like, you're still lying. Like you're still going through that same nonsense that you were doing here uh, in, you know, on earth. And just to, um, just to clarify for our audience, when you talk about Akashic records, if you could just explain a little bit of that. Uh, okay. And maybe we'll do a, a separate show on Akashic records. It's, it's, it's enormous topic, but Akashic records are the soul records of all of our lifetimes, not just this lifetime. And it's probably huge as like volumes and volumes, like an encyclopedia for each person. And, you know, the ancient Egyptians and other cultures knew about Akashic records. And I don't know how they could even fathom how something that enormous could exist. Now with computers, we realize a tremendous amount of knowledge is in a tiny bit. You know, so we can understand it computer wise, but obviously there was a computer system up there of some sort, something like we have here that just has volumes and volumes of information. Now, when I do a reading for somebody, I'm not going to get their whole Akashic records. That would be like reading 20 novels. What I'll get is a piece of information from the Akashic records that pertains to today or the piece that they'll reveal to me. It's a very sacred, sacred, sacred honor to be able to go into Akashic records. I didn't go in them for years and years until they tested me and I didn't misuse any of this power. And, you know, it is, I know when I'm in those records because the information is phenomenal and, you know, it's fascinating, but it is, your life review would be seeing what you were supposed to have learned from your last lifetime, what you agreed on in spirit and coming back. Now, what you didn't learn when you were supposed to learn it and how they're trying to show you how you didn't learn. And it's, it can be enormous. It, it could take 50 years, depending upon how slow someone goes through their life review. You could go through it very quickly, or you could decide, I'm going to just like, I don't know. I don't like what I'm seeing. So I'm not going to look at that. And then maybe your spirit guides will say, okay, so you don't want to look at what a son of a bitch you were to your children. Okay. Okay. Let's look at your work record. Let's, let's do that part. So maybe they'll take, okay, they did better on their work and they like seeing that part of their life review and they'll go through that, but they still don't want to see this. So they try to get a person to see whatever aspects of their life review they're willing to look at. It's a free will universe, Gary. If they don't want to look at it, spirit can't make them. Sure. And I, you know, you're speaking about the enormity, obviously, of of these akashic records. Which, uh, you know, once we get into it a little bit more, maybe like you said, we'll do a topic on it. It uh, comes from a Sanskrit word, akasha, which means sky or atmosphere. So if you can just, you know, we all look up into the sky and we wonder, like, you know, where does it end? Where does it go? How big is it? And I mean, that obviously is very telling. So we, it's, we know va- it's vast. It's absolutely a fascinating. Um, you know, life review. And it's one of the things I'm so honored to be able to do because I think they trust me, you know, spirit trusts me not to misuse it, but that's where I've gotten the most fascinating volume of information that I now possess. And that's why I want this podcast because I don't want when I die, all of this that I've learned to just die off. I want it to live on and for people to learn from what I've learned. And, you know, you're much younger than me, you know, you're going to probably learn a lot of things that I didn't learn because the universe gives people what they can handle or, you know, what consciousness is ready for. And, you know, human consciousness may in the next 40 years, take a quantum leap and development, and then maybe more information will be given. But I want people to know what I have learned and what I have seen 
And, you know, I've seen it so many times now that it, it seems it seems truth to me. Okay, now when I die, I might find I've got certain things wrong or whatever. But remember, I don't have a cell phone to the other side. I hear it as well as I can hear it. Sometimes it's a broken cell phone in and out. Sometimes it's so clear, um, you know, and sometimes it's just right. Like I told you, there's no words to really describe what it is. We're trying to use words for things that we, for a concept that we don't have words for at this particular time. So we try to make it as clear as, and they try to make it as clear to me or as, in a way that I can comprehend. You know, I'm sure it's much more complex than what they're telling me, but it's the information that I have found. And it does make a lot of sense to me. No, that's great. I mean, it's, uh, you know, again, we, I remember when I had uh, texted you initially and I had said, you know, I, I think it would be a great idea if we started a podcast and, you know, and I keep going back to it. We had mentioned it before about, you know, me being in uh, approaching that age of being in a midlife crisis, you know, obviously me trying to find something that I can really, um, I can grow with and learn. And, you know, I, I enjoy being a sponge and I want to know all the information. So, and I, when I think I had texted you about this, you had said that on your list was to do a podcast. Uh, so right. and it was on my 2020 list on my desk was this year I have to do a podcast. Right. And there you, and when I said this was great, this was meant to be, it was meant to be so that, you know, um, people can learn from what you're learning and I'm learning. And, you know, I think I described to you before uh, one time that Nicole, who's been doing my radio show for 12 years, didn't believe in soulmate love and didn't believe in any of this. And now she's a wonderful soulmate wife. And, you know, she's completely changed as a human being from 12 years of grant me a higher love. I think she knows the philosophy better than me at this point, but I said, you're going to learn over, over this course of time and, and not, and the way that the universe teaches, I'm teaching you something this week. I guarantee as you go about your life this week, something we talked about, whether it's Akashic records, something will open up for you or someone will, you know, you'll hear about someone who died and they'll describe it to you. And it'll be something that we talked about. The universe will prove the truth of what I'm saying to anyone who's listening. Sure. If they just want you, if you've listened to this, they're going to say, look, this is truth. And we want, we're going to show you it because I'm the most skeptical person in the world, by the way, Gary, you don't want to watch a show with me. I am a skeptic in every way. So when I started getting these, this gift, I said, you know, I, you have to prove it to me, show it to me first, and then I'll go back and I'll research. So when I was opening up this past life stuff for people, I didn't know what it was. Then I went back and studied the, what the Akashic Records was. I didn't study the Akashic Records first and then say, oh, this is what I'm doing. Nope. I said, you're going to show it to me first because I'm a skeptic. Once I see it, I will go backwards to find out what I'm doing. But first show it to me and then I'll do my homework. Because I didn't want to be a kind of person that I'm just reading all these spiritual books and now I think I'm doing stuff that I'm not doing. Right. But so that's how I was taught. I was like, show it to me. And then, so I'm telling you, and then I want the universe to show you and all our listeners, the truth of what's being revealed here. I love it. No, it's, it's, it's great. And listen, it's a perfect combination. I'm a sponge and I'm in midlife crisis. Can't get rid of that. <laughs> I knew it because mine <laughs> happened at 41. I was great at 40. At 41, it was like, there's gotta be more to life than this. And I need a miracle. Yeah. And, you know, and it, but I had no idea it was going to be a great big cosmic kick in the ass from God. So, you know, a midlife crisis is really because you're getting older and you're starting to think, you know, if, if, you know, in America, it's so youth oriented, you know, you know, you're over the hill at 25. Okay. There's so much ageism in America. That's something that, you know, is astronomical. So when you hit 40, you think, well, is it all downhill from now? I'm going to lose my looks and then my power. Is that going to go? So you have to come to realize that you're a soul, you know, living in a body, but you're a soul. Okay. And that your body is a holy temple. And I tell people you take very, you should take very good care of that holy temple. Okay. You have to clean it and feed it and take great care of it because that's the last year for your life. But we are a soul. And that's what a midlife crisis is, a spiritual crisis. The soul is saying, what about me? And so we have to feed and nurture our soul. It's, it's interesting. Like, obviously we're talking about life after death. We're talking about heaven and the different, you know, uh, rungs of realization and the realms of heaven. And what I find to be very interesting, and I think that a lot of people 
will probably think about this question and, and when they hear it and they may say, wow, that it makes a lot of sense, but I, I don't even know how I could answer it. And, and I want to bring this, this final question up. And a lot of what we do is people come to us and we have talked about this in previous episodes and they, they come to us looking for obviously answers for guidance. Um, in, in some cases, they're looking to speak with uh, people that they were close with that have passed uh, and get messages. And in some cases, those relationships that they're seeking from us to connect with weren't really great relationships, whether it was there a falling, a falling out, um, you know, abuse, whatever the case may be, those people seem to look to uh, people like us for those types of answers. So my question is, uh, and one of the questions that has come up is why do people seem to seek the advice or the guidance of people in the afterlife, people that have crossed over, but typically have issues with having real, truthful, meaningful conversations while they're here? And, and that's a very interesting question. It's fascinating. Well, that's why I always say death ends a life, not a relationship. We can still get answers on the other side. And it's hard for humans, especially families, because, you know, sometimes you become less than strangers living with a family member. Um, if the relationship is volatile from the beginning with a parent or between a parent and a child, um, it's hard to fix that. It's hard to write that ship. It just, you know, if they know, if they never told you, I love you your whole life and, you know, now they're dead. You And the worst part of my job is, you know, people have a lot of woulda, coulda, shoulda. I mean, they come through to say, I love you to people. They never said those words while they were on earth. Why didn't you tell your children, I love you while you were on earth? Why do I have to be the one to tell them? But so those words are very difficult for people. I never heard them when I was growing up. I never heard my parents say, I love you. Never. Wow. That was not words that they used or said. And, you know, after my mother died, it was interesting to go through her things. And she never praised me. She never said, you're pretty or you're smart or you're a good daughter, nothing. So after she died, she had this whole file cabinet of little newspaper clippings of me or notes from the Dean's List or National Honor Society, all the things that I had forgotten she had collected about me. So obviously she must have been proud. Why would you keep those things? But it wasn't something she said. Um, I don't think I ever told my mother I loved her. I, toward the end of her life when she was dying, I began to tell her it was important when my father was dying, I told him and he said it to me, but it was the hardest words that were ever delivered. Now, those should not be hard words to say to people. Those should be the easiest words. You know, when I was a children's entertainer, I used to say in every show to children, most people talk way too much, but they don't say the things that need to be said. If you learn to say nothing else in your life, but I love you, that is what you should say. So I finished every one of my children's shows. You have to learn to say those words. And, you know, from the day my daughter Shauna was born, I said, I loved you uh, to, to every second. And she was 15 months old and she could talk since she was born, this kid. And it's Mother's Day. And I don't think she knew it was Mother's Day. And she's this little tiny thing. And she says, I love mommy. And I went, what? She said, I love mommy. And I looked at her and, and kissed her and hugged her. And she said it a thousand times. I love mommy. I love mommy. And she must've said it 3000 times in the next few days. She knew the power of those words. She knew what they meant. I love you has a DNA that goes right in us and heals us. So we need to say those words. And, you know, often the dead come through to say something very interesting. You know, people pay me money to talk to their dead relatives and their mother will say, well, have you called your brother? And, you know, They'll say, no, I haven't spoken to my brother in a year. And the mother will say, oh, so you just paid Cindy a hundred bucks to talk to me, but you won't call your brother for free. Like, <laughs> yeah. So that is something that, you know, we have real trouble with our family members. And now it's more than ever because they're so political. Everything's, do you wear a mask? Don't wear a mask. It's a political issue. Everybody has, you know, even if you agree on the same issues, maybe you're not as extreme as somebody else, but I found in my own family members that they did not speak to each other for 40 years because they did not agree religiously or politically, even though they were very close growing up. And, you know, after my brother died, I watched my other brother be out of his mind over this situation. Well, because you let these differences, 
doesn't matter what somebody thinks about this or that. Maybe, you know, I, I'm not so thousand percent. I'm sure about all my opinions on, on things. Okay. So we can agree to disagree, but we can go deeper to the heart and soul. All people's souls are the same. All people's hearts are the same. Let's talk about heart and soul topics and get closer. But people just get that, that wall between them. And, you know, I saw it my whole life of it. That wall was deep. And, 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 you know, now that my father's dead, he was always very funny on earth. The man was so funny. He's so funny from, from the other side. Um, but he was a difficult man on earth. And I don't think I could ever overcome some of that because he was very judgmental. So if you want to open up, you know, and have people talk to you, stop judging them. Yeah, people to me because I won't judge them. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell them, look, when I'm telling you something, I did it. Everything I know is because I made that mistake. And I probably made a worse mistake than you made. I'm not judging you. I'm telling you what I did and what I learned from it. But if it's the judgment is what keeps people from talking to each other. Remember you said, do we get judged in the afterlife? It's not really the proper word. We get evaluated, okay? And our actions are sometimes a judge. We're allowed to judge actions. I can judge, you know, someone high on heroin is not permitted in my house, okay? I don't, I'm judging the heroin. I'm not judging the person, okay? I don't judge the person. I judge their, their actions as unacceptable. But maybe it's because of the judgments that keep people from being able to communicate here on earth. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I, th I think that... Uh you know, it is an emotional topic for a lot of people because not everybody has great relationships with, with their parents and their siblings. And, you know, uh, needless to say, you know, there, I think it strikes a chord with, with everybody. Um, but I, I almost think that, you know, you had mentioned about like your, your mother not telling you that they, you know, she loves you. I, I almost feel like that was a generational thing as well, because, you know, my father had that same, uh, notion that his parents didn't really say it. Um, you know, it w wasn't necessarily thrown around, uh, in my, uh, my mother's, uh, family with her parents. Uh, but with my mom and dad, they said it a thousand times, in, you know, in a day, like it was never something that we didn't know or didn't hear. And as a matter of fact, uh, you know, my daughter's first words were, I love you. And she was two months old. Uh, very similar to, to your daughter. Uh, so it's, it, it was actually incredible. We actually recorded on video, uh, something that it, it was like burned in my brain. Like it's un, it's unbelievable, but it's, it goes to show you that the idea of saying things consciously, like I love you, or just expressing that love, like love does heal. And you know, the, the subconscious doesn't really understand truth. They only understand what you're doing and what you're saying. And if you're not expressing that and you're not showing that love, I think that that's what really is holding resentment um, and what holds that uh, really that negativity that really just sends off very poor energy, very poor vibrations. And I, it's funny because in my, in my kitchen growing up, my dad actually had a handwritten note uh, that, and I think it was actually part of a poem that he wrote that said, never show tears too late uh, because right, yeah. once you're gone, that's it. Um, and I think that that's something that really is, uh, has resonated with me uh, as of, as of late and recently, even just doing this podcast, because I, I agree with you. I think that love heals the subconscious by saying it consciously uh, right. and feeling it. And it, and it really does go in our body because it has a certain, DNA. Everybody knows what those words mean instinctively. It's just something so deep. And so when we go to the other side, it's love. Okay. It's not judgment. It's love. And the love is, you know, our intentions is seen as love. And so it's different than I think if you read the Old Testament, by the way, it's a very scary book to read. I've read the entire Old Testament. It's a very uh, judgmental, you know, angry, bigoted God who will have you mashing your teeth. And it's scary. And we have sometimes that scary afterlife. The New Testament has a lot more love-based words and God is much more love-based. Um, I think some of our fears come from that Judeo-Christian fear of the other side and how scary and judgmental God could be. But, you know, that is not what the impression that I've gotten you know, it's people get very fair. It's very fair. Most of them tell me it's very fair. And even if they haven't been fabulous people on the other side, they say that God was fair. 
Sure. Do they understand they're in a, a rung or a realm that they belong in? It's a fair evaluation of their life. And, you know, we're not supposed to get it perfect here. And we're not supposed to get it perfect in spirit. Most people have many incarnations left before they're going to get it perfect. So, you know, that last incarnation, maybe we'll have mastered everything. And, and I think for most of us, that's, that's, you know, I know a lot of people think they're on their last incarnations and, you know, I'll let them think it, but I could tell they have a lot more to learn. Right. It's a, I think this is probably a great way uh, to end is that you really can't go wrong with love. If you have love in your heart, love will, will penetrate and permeate through your body. And not only will you be able to express that outwardly, but it'll also heal you from the inside. Uh, I think that that stream of consciousness, uh, that love continues uh, after the death of the physical body. And, and I think that that's what um, we hope that, you know, maybe while we're living here and we're trying to do the best that we can and we're going through our different things and we're going through our midlife crisis and our anxiety and our job loss and our family problems. I think that if you, if you hold on to that love, uh, I think that that really is, is what's really the most important thing. Exactly. All right, Cindy. So thank you so much. This was uh, another um, very informative, very interesting session uh, of Soul Matters podcast. Uh, I look forward to continuing to doing uh, more and more. I hope that our listeners are gaining value uh, from what we're discussing. I also hope that we hear from them more. I know we've been getting a lot of activity on our Facebook uh, page, as well as uh, YouTube and SoundCloud and iTunes. Uh, but I, I want to hear from them more. So, you know, I'm, I'm sending out that vibration. I'm sending out that energy to everyone that's listening. We want to hear from you. We want you to send us emails. Uh, we want you to post things on Facebook because we want to really hone in on what it is that you're looking to to hear from us. So we'd love to for you to be more of an active participant. We'd love to have guests. We'd love to have callers. And again, it's always been a pleasure. Um, Cindy, thank you so much for this evening. And we're here to remind you that soul matters. It's amazing. Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. Now. We want to hear from you, our listeners. If you have a topic or a question or would like to be a guest on Soul Matters Podcast with Cindy and Dr. Gary, please email us at soulmatterspodcast at gmail.com.